Hello, everyone, and welcome to Every Square Inch. I am uh, still planning on releasing the third part of my deconversion series this week, uh, but in addition, I did want uh, to release another uh, episode for us this week. So this is kind of just bonus material. It's not replacing. Uh, I know a lot of people um, have been waiting for uh, the next part of that series. Uh, this isn't replacing that. I'm still releasing that this week, Lord willing. Uh, but a member of our congregation, Sandra Marlowe, was recently diagnosed with ALS. If you don't know what ALS is, uh, it gets explained in this podcast. But long story short, it's about the worst diagnosis one can receive. There is uh, no known cure, and life expectancy is only three to five years, with many cases being uh, as short as one year. So Sandra has been diagnosed, uh, but she and her husband Wayne, who is an elder at our church, have made the decision to be um, very courageously open about their story and journey in hopes that the Lord will use their suffering uh, for His glory, for His purposes, uh, for the good of others. And so they have both agreed uh, to be interviewed for the podcast. I wanted to have both of them on. Um, now, I'm telling you up front, it is certainly a weighty conversation uh, with a lot of appropriate lament. I love the Marlowe's very much, and there's several times where I'm in tears. Um, so it, it is weighty, but it's also balanced by the certainty of hope and their amazing uh, steadfast faith that uh, cuts through the lament, and, and that comes that comes out as well. So it's, it's not an enjoyable conversation. It's a conversation that I never in a million years expected to have or wanted to have with my friends, but I think it's an important conversation, and I think you will find it, um, at least I found it, um, encouraged by their the way they're suffering, but also convicted. Uh, a very convicting conversation for me because it puts so much of um, my life into perspective. And so anyway, with that, here's my interview with Sandra and Wayne Marla. Okay, so honored to be joined with um, two of my friends, two of my heroes in the faith, uh, Wayne and Sandra Marlowe, who um, certainly didn't have to uh, let everyone into their story. Nobody would blame them if they didn't, but um, have chosen very courageously to uh, kind of walk this journey they're on um, and ask the Lord to use it in any and every way. And so uh, they're gracious to come on to the podcast and uh, let me have a conversation with them. So first and foremost, Wayne and Sandra, thank you so, so much for uh, being willing to do this. Glad to be here, Robert. Thank yeah, we're, you. We're glad to do it for chance. sure. All right. So, um, one qualification here: um, uh, you, you will you will hear in Sandra's speech already um, the impact of of ALS. So, uh, just giving that as a qualification as we get into this conversation, and um, and even even something like this, uh, her stamina can wane, but she she's feeling pretty good and feels like she's going to be able to have a good conversation here. But I think it would be helpful, guys, is to start with just the disease itself. I think I think one of the problems with ALS is it is rare, but it's so devastating. And 
I just don't think that there's much awareness. So, so one of the things I appreciate about you all is that you are alongside of, of letting people into this journey. You're also using it as something of um, raising an awareness for this disease that doesn't get the attention it deserves because it is such a devastating disease. So I think most people, when they think of ALS, they think of uh, maybe the ice bucket challenge. Uh, they know it's a bad thing. But maybe it would help, uh, Wayne, since you're a physician, if you could just maybe talk through what is ALS from a medical standpoint. Sure. <clears throat> so ALS stands for amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. And um, it's probably more commonly known as Lou Gehrig's disease, although um, that's, that's, not, um, that's not necessarily so. And a lot of people just know it as ALS. But ALS, is, it's been around uh, quite a long time. And um, it is a, its a category would be a neurodegenerative disorder. Um, and what that means is that there's a, a, a degeneration in the neurological system somewhere. And for ALS, uh, what happens over time um, is that the, the, the brain no longer communicates with the voluntary muscles of the body. And, and so... You know, you may be sitting at the table and you think you want to reach for a cup of water and you you think that or you don't even think it. It's kind of automatic. But with ALS, you think it and and initially what happens is your hand and your arm are weak and then gradually there's no response whatsoever. And yeah. So so layman's terms is the brain stops communicating with the body. That would be correct with the voluntary muscles of the body. Okay, and and um, okay. Well, you're saying voluntary. What what does that mean? Is there an invol? What's an involuntary and voluntary? Well, so so voluntary muscles are are uh, for the most part skeletal muscles that that you 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 actually don't think about moving them, but your your brain is uh, the higher higher part of the brain is initiating the movement. There are involuntary muscles, for instance, the muscles that make your intestines work and your stomach work. Those are involuntary muscles, and they continue to work. They continue to function, but, but it's, the, it, it's the voluntary muscles, for the most part, that are affected. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Okay. And we don't know what causes ALS, and we do not have a cure for ALS, Correct. Correct. We we don't have a cure for it. Um, there there's there's research going on. There, are lots of lots of uh, studies trying to come up with a, a cure or even a really effective treatment. I mean, there's really only one medication that is approved for use in ALS, and it just slows the process by about three months. That's about it. So there really isn't anything else out there. Okay, and. We have no idea what causes it. We do not know what causes it. Yeah. That's a fair statement. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And and then <clears throat> one more question, then I'll get to Sandra. What uh, you said it, it slow it adds three months to the span. What is a typical sp process of ALS and its effect on the body? Yeah. So so typically the the. Um, uh, Lifespan after diagnosis is about uh, 
50% will have lost their life in three to five years, two to five years. Um, and then some live 20 years, but that's very unusual. Some don't live a year. So it, it, that's kind of the average is somewhere three to five years. Okay. So it's just, it's, it's a devastating diagnosis. And um, Sandra, that, I'm here. That's, that's from the medical perspective. Now, experientially, uh, talk to us about um, your diagnosis um, from, from beginning to now as best you can. It uh, started actually on Thanksgiving Day 2019. Enjoyed a wonderful day with family. Um, at the end of the meal, I took uh, a bite of cake and I choked in a way that had never happened to me before. It was a real um, difficulty with drawing breath and that uh, got my attention because it was unusual. And then through December and then through January, the choking episodes would continue um, not daily, but enough that um, I had to be uh, more conscious when I was eating of being extra careful. And then right on the heels of um, the presentation of choking were speech changes. And they were um, presenting uh, by December. Um, noticeably, first was a, a lisp and then just difficulty with articulation. It takes a lot of effort um, to try to make the tongue work. And as I know now, it's because of motor neurons that activate um, the, the tongue, which is a muscle, um, are dead or dying. So it doesn't respond in the way it would for a healthy person. And so the combination of the two uh, were my first um, idea that maybe something was amiss, but it's interesting that I found ways to um, not initially deal with it. And I thought maybe it was because I was wearing a new bike guard that I wear at night and Wayne wasn't saying anything about my lisp. And I thought, Maybe I'm hearing it more than others. And it really took a very close friend um, who in a very caring but direct way uh, at the very end of January said, um, something is very different about your speech. Um, are you, is there something going on? And she has a background in uh, expanded duties dental. She, she was aware of alignment of jaws and teeth and knew that something was um, different. And so with that, uh, it's a springboard. I made an appointment with my primary care physician who absolutely realized um, that something was amiss. And we began the process of diagnostic procedures, which in this uh, case for me were that we had a CAT scan, we had, uh, I had an MRI, and I had something called a barium swallow test. And after, and I had, um, at that point, an appointment made with a neurologist who uh, scheduled me to have a panel of um, blood work done. 
An interesting thing about ALS is that there are no biological markers. So it's a diagnosis by exclusion, and you're trying to ascertain what you don't have in the process of figuring out if you do have ALS. So um, after the first appointment with the neurologist, and he looked at the uh, CAT scan and um, the MRI, and, and everything looked good, which um, is always nice to hear. And uh, I was feeling um, grateful because you're thinking, could it have been a stroke or a brain bleed? And it was not those. And he um, then scheduled uh, Wayne to come back a week later to have an uh, EMG, which actually is a diagnostic procedure that measures the activity of the muscles and the muscle innervation. And that was um, a really interesting uh, procedure to have done uh, because it's lengthy and um, it's uh, uncomfortable because you need to actually um, put electrodes on and then you feel tiny shocks and after that the needles are inserted into the muscles and we did that pretty much from neck uh, to toe and even on the back and then uh, all that is uh, connected to a computer and um, the physician the neurologist is getting the read on what um, he is seeing as activity that is normal or abnormal. And after he looked over um, the results right there, he uh, then, for the first time I had heard, he said he believed it was um, looking to him like it was probably ALS. And that, um, it was a shock to me. Um, I had made a conscious uh, decision uh, being married to a physician where a lot of patients come in having done Google searches and looked to Dr. Google, I mm -hmm. made a conscious effort that in this path, I was not going to go down that particular rabbit hole of Google searches. And um, so when he said ALS, it was, it was just not on my radar. I had not... Um, even considered that. And uh, I would say in the past, I was not very informed about the disease. I was aware that most people with it had severe uh, muscle weakness presenting. And um, in my case, my presentation was a speech and swallow and breathing presentation. And that's a particular subset uh, only about 25% of people with ALS have this. It's called bulbar ALS. And so what the um, neurologist did is explain um, that standard medical protocol would be to have a follow-on appointment with another neurologist. And in our case, we're fortunate because here in Lexington at University of Kentucky, we have an ALS uh, specialty clinic, and I was able to go in to see Dr. Kosarskis, and he uh, did a thorough examination. He looked over all my um, tests that had been done. Uh, he did order additional 
blood work just to make sure it wasn't something odd like uh, heavy metals or something that might mimic uh, symptoms of ALS. And uh, at the end of the appointment, he explained to me that he did indeed confirm that he believed I had uh, bulbar ALS. And then he was um, compassionate but direct, and I appreciated that. And he explained that when you have ALS that presents in the extremities, you'll notice weakness in the hand, weakness in the feet, um, muscle twitching. There's just other ways that um, people tend to uh, notice something is amiss. In my case, because it was a speech and swallow, um, he said that the bulbar presentation tends to advance more quickly, tends to... Um, uh, shorten the lifespan uh, to the lower end because it affects hydration, uh, nutrition, and breathing more quickly than than an extremity presentation. So that's um, that's the backstory of how we received the diagnosis. And I said we received because an interesting dynamic in all of this is to be having a health crisis in the midst of COVID-19 yeah. when you have a worldwide pandemic and a shutdown. So some of the usual things you would be able to do are not an option. Even that appointment I did solo because Wayne was not allowed to come back uh, to be a part of the um, appointment with uh, Dr. Kosarskis. So I think right away, it was an opportunity for me to pray for strength and clarity and the ability to hear well and concentrate and then to be um, realizing and actualizing the, the early steps of what it means to have the diagnosis. Wow. And, and when was that? When, when, when did you receive all that? Um, we went to see the um, neurologist for the EMG on the 24th of March, and I had my appointment with Dr. Kosarskis at UK on March 30th. So the um, confirmation diagnosis was March 30th. Okay. So mm -hmm. this is this is very fresh, real, and it raw. Is. Yeah, it is. Okay. So let me set the scene here then, um, and I Thank you so much for being so um, candid and forthright. So what we're dealing with here is this. Um, I think when it comes to a diagnosis, ALS is up there with the, the worst possible um, news you can receive. Um, you know, cancer, obviously, we fear a cancer diagnosis, and those are more common, but, you know, there are at least some treatment options there. Um, so not only are you diagnosed with ALS, you're diagnosed with um, a particularly um, extreme progressive form of ALS. Not only mm -hmm. are you diagnosed with that, you're diagnosed with it in a pandemic where you're not able to get right. the, the care that you normally <clears throat> would receive and you're going to appointments alone. So I think it's safe to say um, from a physical perspective, you are you are living what most people would classify as kind of a worst fear scenario. How um, how has this landed on you? What has been since since March thirtieth? What's been going on in your mind and and soul? Well, initially, initially, 
you can't help but there's um, a disbelief and um, a denial and a uh, hard time um, wrapping your mind around it. And so, um, again, when you typically think of something that comes is presented and and bad news comes your way unexpectedly. Um, uh, human touch is usually so comforting. And obviously within our home, I've had um, Wayne to hold a hand and give a hug, but all the rest of family and friends have um, been none of that. So that, that had a very surreal uh, aspect to it as well. And um, Robert, my uh, sorrow is real. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's you you know you don't so uh, as a physician I have to say that by the time the diagnosis was made it wasn't a surprise to me I had been actually concerned that that was what we were dealing with probably for a month or so and um, but my heart was like God let it not be so you know going to be anything else anything else but as the scans would come back normal and the lab work would come back normal sandra would say yes oh yay you know this is before she knew and i would my heart would sink a little bit because i knew what that was leading towards and so and, and I think God was gracious in that because I think had we both heard that diagnosis totally out of the blue, we would have really struggled, I think. I mean, I, I don't know. I think I, but anyway, God, God was gracious to, to give me a preview of probably what we were dealing with. And again, I kept praying and hoping God, you know, anything else, anything else. But uh, it was not to be so. So in my in our path, we have walked with dear friends who have had challenges, physical challenges, and illnesses present, and cancer, and yeah. some um, survived, and several have not. And I'm so aware of that every single day is a gift, and I never wanted to take that for granted but when it comes home you have to decide then what your response slash reaction will be and uh, I believe that when I have been able to um, work hard to together uh, delve into his word um, to lean into each other in the father and um the folks listening would not know um, my personality, but when I first heard ALS, I was thinking, well, hmm, that um, that's something that I had never considered, but because I'm an athlete, well, no, I've never heard of any ALS games, and there's <laughs> no such <laughs> Yeah, because I figured, you know, Sandra. they have the Olympics, and I, I was thinking, how could I adapt to still um, compete? Because this was a year that I had been really looking forward to, uh, 
an age up year in master swimming to have an opportunity to go to nationals. And uh, they're just things that are part of our journey that we enjoy physical activity. So um, you see walks and you see um, cancer survivors celebrated and so rightly so the path through treatments can be so grueling and arduous and I applaud that. But in our case, um, there are no ALS survivors. So you're facing um, uh, making that a reality in your life that you still have to figure out what will get you out of bed every day and not borrow tomorrow's troubles. Um, because it's real easy um, to go there. And uh, this is one that is progressive. It is um, somewhat different with different people on how it presents and how it progresses. But ultimately, it will take for every single ALS patient the ability to uh, walk, talk, um, speak, and breathe. So, so, yeah, so it's um, it's something that we've just had to already know that the voice will go for me uh, more quickly, mm-hmm. and we're looking at different um, options for uh, recording um, voices for being able to have communication through devices, and that. Um, that thought is really foreign for me because, as most all of us do, but I like to talk. <laughs> I, I, I enjoy speaking, and the uh, adage that more people are afraid of public speaking than of dying. Um, <laughs> I've had to chuckle through the. It's not true for me. I've actually uh, been really grateful to have opportunities to be asked to speak at different. Um, Venues and uh, always was just grateful for it. So this is um, in addition to the physical impairment, the uh, communication aspect is tough. Even now, not being able to speak clearly, it's very humbling already. And uh, um, people's responses to you, I realize that many assume um when there's speech impairment, that sometimes there's mental impairment as well. And so I've already had to uh, face that, or people think you're drinking. And I've had to, because of the nature of my business and having a few new people I've had to, I had the opportunity to speak with, but I had to lay the foundation first, explain that, no, I'm not sitting here doing COVID-19 <laughs> and drinking bourbon and <laughs> Like a good Kentuckian, but that I actually had a health issue that yeah. was affecting my speech. So it's, yeah. it has been humbling. Yeah, for mm-hmm. those for those who don't know the Marlowe's, Sandra is, um, I, I think one of the things for those of us who just love them so much has just been so surreal is Sandra is just a picture of strength, of health, um, record holder in swimming, right? Is that is that right? Don't I, you have- I have... Uh, been able to set um, state records through yeah. the, the years, yeah. Yeah, and um, and in the peak of health. How, how old are you, Sandra? 
Um, I turned 65 last week. Yep. And again, I never shy about saying my age because when you're a competitive athlete, the whole world right. knows your age. Yep. <laughs> it's fun up there on the, yeah. in the last, yeah. Norm, normally, I wouldn't ask that question, but I figure you right now you you don't care for me to ask that. But I do not. Uh, but, you know, so... It, she's 65, and if you if you would meet her, you'd 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 think she's 20 years younger. She was biking across the country this past summer. I mean, it's just, I think that's what's so surreal is this is about the only thing that um, Sandra Marlowe couldn't beat, and and I think I think that's just it's just devastating every for every situation. But this has just landed so hard on me personally on our church. And, um, you know, we're just all grieving. But, um, Sandra, you said, you said, um, the morning is real. Um, is it, is it a, is it a daily, is it a daily fight? Are there, are there, um, is it come and go? Um, let us in on, on where your heart is. I, I think the first weeks were the hardest. And I would say that, Grief was was still coming. Yeah, there's it, it, it's a grief. It's a grief that 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 you. It's a grief for what you hoped you would have and <clears throat> realize that you won't. Um, and uh, we kind of reel each other in from time to time. It, it's it's. I think as as we're adjusting and um, beginning to live with it a little more, we're we're not. It's not as frequent. We still get overwhelmed from time to time and start thinking about what's going to happen. And you know, Sandra was right. She said that you know the the, the, the two of us have have spoken verbally to one another daily for many many years that every day is a gift. Every day is a gift. I think part of that comes from my job and the number of times I've seen people stricken with different illnesses, diseases, cancer, sudden deaths from car accident, you name it. And they had no idea. They didn't see that coming. And so I think as as we've shared that life together and I've talked with Sandra, I said, honey, every day is a gift. Mm -hmm. Every single day is a gift from God. And so um, that's even more real now because every day is a gift. And so, you know, in some days you, you, you think about, dang, we were going to do this and such or that. Yeah. And, and you grieve a little bit and, you know, we weep a little bit and then we'll pull ourselves back and say, but we have today and, and today's good. And, and, you know, every day's good with God, but, um, but we're good. So we, we, we don't, we really work hard not to reach down the road for what is going to come, but live in today and the beauty of today and the glory of today. Yeah. Let me ask you a question, Wayne. Um, how's it been, um, Again, Wayne is a physician, and you know the joke around our church um, is, you know, just send them to Wayne; he'll fix them. Um, whether it's uh, <laughs> physical things, or he, he, you know, he's our go-to guy. People are battling with 
anxiety and depression and me- needing medication. He's just he's just a guy. He's 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 oh, he's an elder at our church and just filled with wisdom. One of my go to people that I I, I want to ask questions to. He's just a fix it guy. So Wayne, um, what is it like for a guy who 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 has given their whole life to helping people and um, and to be a spouse now of of a helpless situation. I couldn't imagine um, what must be going on inside of you. What's it been like for you? You know, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. Um, I, I think, I think that yes, I've been a fix it guy. I've helped a lot of people, but by the same token, you know, I have, I've walked with a lot of my patients through, um, suffering and, and the dying process. And there is a very real understanding that we don't fix everything. We just don't. And when I say we, I'm talking about the corporate humanity. We don't fix everything. And, you know, more importantly, we won't ever fix everything. The only one who does that is Christ. And so, so, you know, but but to answer your question, it, it is it is it's hard. Um, I don't know how you walk through something like this without a faith in the Lord Jesus and the understanding that He holds us in the palm of His hand every single second of every single day, and there's never a time He's not on the throne and that He's not holding us and walking with us. And so, you know, quite honestly, the why question, I, I can honestly say has never come up for me. Wow. I don't know about summer, but it's just, it's just not there. But I think some of that's because if you, if you read through the word, he doesn't answer why very often at all. Job never got an answer to why ever. Um, you know, and you could go on and on, but, but the Lord's not, it, he doesn't have to explain why to me. It's really not, I, I don't know. I, I, I love the, I don't know. I, I, I just, I just feel that hasn't been an issue. I, I've been grateful to have the Lord and, and to have both of us walking with the Lord and just, uh, but we do reel ourselves in sometimes, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. we wake up, Sandra wake up sometimes and say, I don't want this. <laughs> so yeah, honey, I'm I don't want you to have it either. Right. You know, right. we, we, we'd certainly rather not deal with it. Sandra, but. Sandra has the why question been, been on your heart or. Um, you know, that's an interesting thing to ponder and you can't help but have a moment that it passes, but I haven't let it land because even when I was parenting and we have five children and several (laughs) were especially strong-willed, I never found that I went there um, as I was dealing with whatever had happened um, with uh, a misbehavior on the why because I felt that that was very counterproductive. What I had to deal with was what is this happened and now going forward, this is what we need to learn from this, or this is what we need to change from this, or this is how we will deal with the consequences of this. And so I think there was a little bit of preparation 
that I don't think it's necessarily helpful to let the why take root. Um, and uh, you had said in a sermon just um, last month, a few weeks ago, that this time of COVID-19, our, our death-avoided culture is being forced to face death. And um, a pandemic brings things to light that, truthfully, I'm not sure anything else can in the same way. And yeah. the last uh, pandemic that we had that was truly worldwide was the 1918 uh, Spanish flu. And I had an opportunity to walk very closely and help to care Wayne's grandmother, who actually had that flu. So it was... Wow personalized to me that at age 18, she dealt with facing death. Um, she literally watched body bags being loaded and unloaded from the window of the bedroom where she was quarantined um, in Boone, North Carolina. And she talked about it very matter of fact. And uh, we, we called Wayne's grandmother Gandhi. And she lived to be 102 healthy years. And when you live that long, you face a lot of loss. And in her case, it was all of her um, siblings, spouse, only child, and a grandchild, and most of all your friends, truthfully. So in my path of walking alongside her, it would be that I would be the one bringing her the news of who had died. And I would watch her process her news and there would be a moment of pause and the head would drop and she would lift her chin and she would always come back to saying, but we know that God is in control. Amen. Wow. And every single day, I can, it's a choice I have. I can choose to dwell on what I've lost or be grateful for what I have. And so that was worked into my heart yeah. in those years of walking with her. And I think even in this crisis, that is what I said uh, a few days after the diagnosis when we had our first group uh, video call with our children and uh, their spouses. And I felt like that's the direction I was going to go. I was going to go, Gandhi, and choose to be grateful for what I have. So um, there was uh, a groundwork laid that yes. was helpful once a crisis presented. Yeah. You know, um, it, you said something, Wayne, that that I've been thinking a ton about in your situation is is I, you're just so thankful for <laughs> for the truths that you have uh for the gospel for jesus for for a god who's in control and you don't know how people would journey this without that um maybe just transitioning toward that a little bit and i i, I want to be really careful with t our time and and sandra stamina but just you know every every sunday since I learned this news, you all have obviously been on my heart and in my mind and my sermon prep. And every time I come away thinking, like, I, I can't imagine traveling this road without these promises. Um, mm -hmm. with, you know, you, you, you were, and I appreciate that you all are not trying to be the um, 
overly uh, optimistic and not be honest with how mournful and sorrowful this has been. Um, and that lament is really, really important. But where, you know, where have you been with the Lord, His promises? What has that, what has that, what has happened to your relationship with God through this? Um, you know, it it's uh, it's it's sweeter. Um, uh, you know, there's the sorrow and joy get mixed together a lot. And, um, but, but I think the, uh, uh, the, 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 uh, what's the word I want to say? The intensity of the love of Christ, the, uh, the realness of his nearness is, I would, for me is, is it's more real. It's more, um, there's, there's, there's some, you know, we, there's a book called Tuesdays with Maury that's written about, uh, written by, uh, uh, Mitch Ablom and, and Ablom, yeah. And, but it's about Maury Schwartz, a professor of his who had ALS. And as he was, as he was dying with the disease, he invited Mitch into his life, uh, for kind of the last great class. I, I highly recommend the book. It's excellent. It's not a Christian book, but there's a lot of really good, solid things in there. But one of the things that that, that Maury said to Mitch is that he said, I, I don't think anyone really knows how to live until they know they're going to die. And there's, Sandra and I would say, I think that's, that's real because there's something about the sweetness you don't take things for granted. You look at the sun every morning. You you look at the tree outside. You, you just there's a there's an intensity of life that becomes more real. So how, how do we do that before we know we're going to die? You know that that's the question. Well, the truth is we're all going to die. You know, there's no survivors of ALS, but there's also no survivors of life <laughs> physically. We're all dying. I mean, we all, all we all have a death date. Sandra just knows, you know, it's going to happen, we think, a little sooner. But do you know what? I do not know that I will not predecease her, you know. So it's like you just don't know. But there's just something uh, intense about life, and you just don't take for granted. You don't leave things unsaid. We've always been vocal and affectionate with our kids and uh, and loved on them, but— but we just need to be there with our friends, with our people that um, have meant something to us. Don't don't let it go unsaid. Oh, keep short accounts. Keep short accounts. We've said that because for years, too. Because you never but... know. Yeah. You never know. You That's don't ever right. know. And I, I have a redemptive view of tragedy mm-hmm. just because it's part of my own um, story of my testimony. And as a teenager, I had a close friend who I shared life with at school and church, uh, die in a boating accident, very freak, the summer before senior year. And she just radiated the joy of the Lord. She loved the word she loved to live her life in a way that was exemplary. And when she passed so suddenly, all um, 
her friends were left reeling, and I watched her parents have a steadfastness that got my attention because I knew they were grieving, but I saw in them a strength and an assurance that what I said is I don't have what they have, and that is how the Father drew me unto himself. So mm -hmm. every time I'm in the midst of um, having the chance to walk with someone and knowing they're facing a really hard news and tragic loss, there is yet a redemptive um, aspect that always is very real to me. So now with this diagnosis, I'm thinking, how, Father, can we use this to glorify you? Yeah. How can we use this to um, potentially tell others of the amazing news of, of the Father and his gift of the Son and of the resurrection? It just It's um, probably more real to us to keep looking for ways that we can declare that um, as we walk this out. Amen. Amen. Has God ha, has God been intensely near to you as well, Sandra? Has have His promises been real, or are you struggling with those? His promises are real, and mm. I would say that I've I've been a person who's been so grateful for. Um, well, I'll just say it for the good preaching in our church, for good theology, <laughs> and for the word. But it comes alive in a new way, and yeah. when you going through um, suffering, uh, it, it, in, in some ways it distills things. And uh, um, in the midst of that, it's again, it's coming to every day with setting your mind on what you know is true and uh, not borrowing tomorrow's troubles. But the Psalms are so full that of so much, as I believe it was Spurgeon that said, only in suffering can you really appreciate the Psalms. And I believe that, um, that I would well, say I that's true. true. I yeah. that's and I think that walking that's out means that every day we are so aware of God's sufficient grace. Yes. And that's um, that's uh, it's I, I I'm not glossing over that it's hard it's hard mm -hmm. right um, but uh, if, if our faith is real it's real when everything's good yeah yeah I mean and it's real when you when it's hard yeah. Thank you all so much. Um, maybe I'll just give you one final word. In, in anything in all of this, um, you know, this this podcast has a pretty far-reaching audience, and um, I think a lot of people are going to be listening in and eager to hear from you. Any final word that you have? You don't have to have one, but any final word that you've had that you have from both of you? That there's no news that you received that should take your enthusiasm and joy for every day. And uh, 
if you look at the word enthusiasm, it means God in us. That's the root of the word. So that's my takeaway. It's just still so much to be grateful for. And I want to still um, be able to maintain uh, appreciation and the joy of living right to the end. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, the, the, the real truth is Jesus has risen. He has conquered death. We go through the physical aspect of it. But that isn't the end for us. I said there are no survivors of of life on earth. That is true. But there are survivors into eternity. And we're grateful to be uh, called to be a part of his family. Um, so so that's that our hope, our hope is in Christ. That's final word as far as I'm concerned. Amen. Well, y'all, I love you. Your church loves you. Um, Thank you, bro. I will, um, I will, I will tell you uh, what you just told us. But sometimes it's good to hear it from other people. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus really did die for your sins. Mm-hmm. He really is risen from the dead. Yeah, and and it's all true. And and nothing, no bad news can overcome that good news. And yep. um, I just I appreciate. Your all's willingness to open your life and your story to everyone, and um, I know I know God will use it um, in amazing ways. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks yeah, for thank this uh, chance. Thanks for the opportunity. And we um, would be happy to have follow-on conversations. All right. Him. So we, um, it's a platform for yeah. us to okay. be open. So thank you. Well. You're you're going to be one of the first people I hug when this virus is over. I can tell you that. I, I'm, I am dying for a Sandra hug. Wayne, uh, Wayne, not so much, but uh, man, I, I need me a Sandra hug. Hey, listen, we love you all. Thank you so much. All right, man. Thanks, right, Robert. Blessings. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.